since a Monday, the 26th of July, 2021. So yesterday was the start of the rains retreat where the monks <coughs> um, made the determination to spend the next three months um, in the monastery, in their current location. And this happened all over the world. So we do this uh, in following the principles laid down in the vinya, in the monastic discipline. And uh, the reason for this was that during the rains period, uh, traveling was very difficult. And also, if the monks, usually they would travel on foot, and they, if they walked over the fields of the lay people, um, it could be very difficult, cause a lot of difficulty. And, uh, and so they'll travel either by foot or by cart, and the rains made that very arduous, made it possible or likely that they would destroy the crops of the villages. And so the Buddha laid down uh, this rule to have this three-month period uh, for the monks to spend in retreat during the rainy season. And so this has turned in, into a tradition in Buddhist monasticism and also a part of our monastic discipline. So this is true no matter which country we live in. And even in some places, <coughs> Um, overseas. It's a different season. It's not the rainy season. And the conditions are quite a lot easier, but still they take the opportunity to spend these three months in retreat and to spend them practicing. Even though there may not be any rain, and they still spend the rains retreat, they still use this opportunity uh, to practice the Dhamma, to study the monastic code that the Buddha laid down, the principles of the practice and our life, and also to study the Dhamma as well, and so that we get more knowledgeable about these things. Because for us monks, we've ordained already, and we've ordained into a, a special caste, and it's different from other classes, different from other castes. So we're all probably aware that in India, the time of the Buddha, there were four castes. There was the noble warrior caste, the Brahmins, uh, the merchants, and the workers. And so the noble warriors, their duty was to protect and look after the country, to ensure that it didn't get invaded. And so they would often have to go out and fight to wage war. The Brahmins had the work of studying the Vedas, the scriptures. The merchants went out to sell and also had many different uh, occupations. And the workers uh, used their you know, physical strength, were laborers. But the society needed all of these four castes in order for it to work smoothly, and that if just one of these castes were missing, then they would run into a lot of difficulties. 
so each of them needed to depend upon one another. But there was also a special caste, and that was the monks, the bhikkhus. And this is how the Buddha phrased it and taught it, that the monks are a special caste. That having ordained already, um, they become summoners, ones who are desirous and seeking peace. Those who see the drawbacks and the dangers in the cycle of birth and death. So one way of defining or translating the word bhikkhu is one who begs or one who asks. And this is correct in a way because we are ones who ask for peace. And also in another way we have to go an arms round in order to uh, live our lives and to support our lives. And this arms round is the occupation of a monk. So it's not the case that monks don't have any work, don't have any occupation. No, we do have to work. And sometimes the place that we go an arms round to is quite far away, maybe five kilometers. So there, five kilometers, and walking back in total, ten kilometers. And in the early days of this monastery, they would walk out uh, to the main road, to the highway, and walk a little bit along there as well. So it was about five and a half kilometers there, and then coming back, 11 kilometers. So the monks would leave at about 5.30 or 5.45, and at some times in the year it would still be dark, so they'd have to take their torch in order to light the way. And if they were lucky, then... On some days, a car would take them back. But if there was no lift, then they'd have to walk. And so these, this is the practice, the standards of a monk. This is the monastic occupation. And the Buddha said this is one of the fundamentals of the monastic life. That even though we may have many games, gains, we shouldn't forget or toss away this practice of going on arms round in order to support our lives. And there's one occasion in Wadnambapong that this reminds me of. And on that day, there was a lot of work to do, many uh, duties that had to be attended to because there was a group of 500 lay people who were traveling in from Bangkok in order to make a donation. And it would be uh, few and far between these occasions where a large group of lay people would come from Bangkok like this because it really wasn't easy for them to get there. But they went through those difficulties due to the faith that they had in Lumpucha. And so I was organizing or helping to organize the tables and the food for these lay people. And it was getting on or even past the time to go out on arms round. And I was thinking to myself that, well, today it's not necessary to go on arms round because there's so much to do here. We hadn't yet finished. But it was as though Limpucha knew. He knew my thoughts. So he came up and he said, all right, it's enough now, time to go out on arms round. And even if we're traveling, for traveling to a far place or to a near place, it's still important to go on arms round. 
And so taking the train from Bangkok and then passing through uh, Ayutthaya, Sarapuri, and then into Ubon. And the train would often arrive at about 6 or 7 a.m. So what does one do then? We had to go in arms round first uh, to the market that was close to the train station. And so I did this, um, and was fortunate that there were um, some lay people who went to Wat Nombapong, which has monastery, on a regular basis. And so they had this faith to give me a lift back to the monastery. And then when I arrived, Lumpucha asked me straight away, uh, where did you go in arms round? And so Lumpucha, he taught for us to to take this practice seriously and strictly, that we need to do this regularly, to go on arms round every day. But what do we do if we're still traveling, if we're on a train? Oh, Ajahn Maha Somchai, he was once doing this, he was traveling to Wadnombapong as well via train, and it's not sure whether the train will arrive on time or not, and sometimes it's not running to schedule. And so what does one do then? Well, he took out his arms ball in the train and went on arms round right there along the aisle. And many people in Thailand, um, they aren't aware that monks um, don't use money. And some people are aware of this, but the people who don't know this uh, are many. But when they saw a monk go on arms round, then they were happy, and so they bought some food and offered it to him. So wherever we go, we need to take our bowls with us. This is something important. If we're traveling, then we take the bowl, because it's really not sure what's going to happen. So we do this, and we follow the standards of practice that have been laid down. We follow the monastic etiquette. And as monks, we see the danger, the drawbacks in the cycle of samsara, and um, what about in this present day, though? How does this apply to now? Well, the Buddha taught us to not be heedless. Uh, for example, if we're out on arms round and we meet with an elephant, then we need to try to find a way to avoid that elephant, we need to try to take a different path. And so he said that we shouldn't be heedless. So in this present day, um, if the monks go on arms round, then the opportunity for them to contract COVID is very high. And today, actually, there was an abbot who had just been recently appointed as abbot of his monastery just 20 days ago. And he went on arms round, got COVID, and died. And so we need to be cautious as well. We need to be circumspect. And so now uh, the monks here, they're not going on arms round. And they depend upon the food that the laity come to offer to the monastery. And, um, and that's due to the danger uh, because the present condition, situation, uh, with COVID, it's getting worse and worse. And so the monks have stopped going on arms round and just eating the food that 
the kitchen prepares and that has been brought into the monastery. But where did this food come from? It didn't just appear out of thin air, and it doesn't come for free either. It arises from faith, and from the faith of the laity, from their kindness, compassion, and the belief that they have. And the highest kindness and compassion is that of the Lord Buddha, that he had this metta, this loving kindness, uh, to go out and to teach the Buddhist assembly, to teach us to sacrifice, to develop goodness, and to build up merits and perform skillful deeds. And this comes through the Bharami of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. Also, the kindness, the compassion of the laity as well, and those who make offerings um, to this monastery, whether they are close by or far away, whether they are in Thailand or overseas, that they all have faith, and this requires faith for them to make these humble, or to offer these things uh, humbly, whether it's dry food that they offer or fresh food. And so one way is that people make offerings to the kitchen, and another is that they make financial donations. Um, Because if this wasn't the case, uh, then the monks in this monastery in Wadmabjan, they just wouldn't have any food to eat throughout the entire rains, the entire Vasa period. So we depend upon the faith and the effort, the energy of those who are uh, working in the kitchen, whether they are the people who have been working in the kitchen for a long time or the lay people from outside who have come in to stay in the monastery to help out. And really what this shows us is that this body is a heap of suffering, that it depends upon external things. It depends upon food, it depends upon water in order for it to survive, in order to lessen the painful feelings that it gives rise to. But I give my anamodana, I rejoice in the merit, the skillfulness, the goodness of all of the laity, those far and near, and those overseas and within this country, that they've, through their kindness, have come to help us out to make offerings uh, to us so that we have enough food, that we, so that we have these four requisites. And the whole Sangha here, all of the monks, uh, rejoice in this goodness, in the good deeds, the merit that you've done. And so may this goodness uh, fruit in your cultivation of uh, the practice of the Dhamma, so that you see the Dhamma, you come to know the Dhamma. For the monastics, it's important for us to contemplate and see how our lives depend upon others. And it's really not um, easy for those people um, that we uh, depend upon. And so we should be aware of this 
and not be lazy, uh, to eat what is just appropriate and enough, to not eat in a way that makes us fat, to not eat for beautification, but just to consume this food to give the body strength. So we contemplate this so we don't get in debt towards the laity, so that we don't eat um, with uh, kind of being amused and delighted in that food, but rather we hold our mindfulness while we're eating and see how this food didn't come easily at all. So we can contemplate um, that with each uh, mouthful of food that we eat, how is it that it arrived here? How did it come into our bowls? Well, the fully self-awakened Buddha, he needed to develop his barami for a very long time. He sacrificed his flesh, his body, his life, for countless lifetimes, so that he could awaken to the Dhamma, so that he could teach this Dhamma as well, and teach the principles that he had discovered. And this allowed for a lineage of arahants, of awakened beings, from the time of the Buddha to this present day, to Lumpuman, Lungta Mahabua. And there were many um, disciples of Lumpuman, then we have Lumpur Cha as well. And so his two other teachers were Lumpur Ginnari and Lumpur Tongrat. And then Lumpur Cha was a disciple of them. So therefore, this food didn't come easily at all. It um, came through the efforts, through the barami of the Buddha for countless lifetimes. And if we look in a very deep and refined way, we'll see that with each grain of rice that we eat, the Buddha had to build barami for a hundred lifetimes for that grain of rice to come about. And so what about all of the food there within our bowls, within one meal? It's millions of lifetimes. So we think and we contemplate in this way. And that for the lay people to gain this money to buy this food. It's very difficult, it's not easy at all. And they also had to, in order to, to work, in order to buy the food, they had to put themselves at risk as well. They're willing to sacrifice to do this. So we should contemplate along these lines. And also be devoted to developing our barami as well, to carry on developing our barami in this way. And then when it reaches a certain point, we see that there just really isn't any greed within our hearts, that we don't have the sufficient greed to desire the wealth or the possession of others. Because we see that generosity brings us inner ease and happiness. And sometimes the question may arise that if I get really rich, if I uh, earn a lot of money, then what will I do with that? And if there's Dhamma there within the heart, then we answer ourselves that 
we use the money to just support our lives in a way that's enough to support our families. And then we give the rest away, we use the rest to be generous, to donate. And a heart that is like this, one that's imbued with faith, one that is always giving rise to merit, that wishes to be generous constantly. Um, this is a heart that has the qualities, the inner qualities of a sotapanna, of a Sri Mantra. That they have the highest respect towards the Buddha, the Dhamma, and the Sangha. And they're generous in just a normal way, and something that, generosity is something that's just very common or normal for them. So Lady Visaka and Adipindika, we can take these two as our examples. That they had this very deep faith and had developed a lot of barami, a lot of generosity. And we can also recollect uh, the monastic disciple of the Buddha who was the foremost in gains, the foremost in and, and gains, which is uh, Venerable Sivali. So we can take them as our examples and develop our barami um, like they did. And we do this, we cultivate our barami and make these offerings in homage to the Buddha, the Dhamma and the Sangha. And as we carry on doing this, then it'll reach the time where we're ready to develop our hearts further to develop sila, this virtue, to make our actions, a body and speech, good. Whether we keep the five precepts, the eight precepts, or for the monastics, the 227 precepts. And we look after the sila so that it becomes firm and strong. And then we come to practice um, in cultivating our hearts in meditation as well to develop mindfulness, to develop states of samadhi, and then for wisdom to arise, to see into the Four Noble Truths, to perceive emptiness, and to see how this world and everything in it is just conventions. And if our minds can perceive the world in this way, then it will see it just being that, just being empty, just being conventional. But normally, when the four elements come together, then we see it as being something solid. Um, but if we separate them out, then we won't have that feeling of solidity. We won't see it as being a self, as being us, as being something that belongs to us. And so the body is this way as well. But when the nerves are working well, um, then we see this body as being a self, as being me. But when the nerves stop working, such as when a tooth falls out of our mouths, um, then we can more easily see that as not being me. And how these teeth, they just uh, decay until they turn back into the earth. And the bones as well are like that. When the body dies and the bones are just lying there, they're not aware of anything, they don't know anything. And the blood is the same. And we take that out of the body and it's just a water element. So when we cultivate our hearts, then 
We can see the body in this light as just being a collection of earth, water, fire and air. And knowledge arises here. Seeing this body as just being convention, seeing it as being something that's empty. But within emptiness there is form as well. It's not that emptiness doesn't contain anything at all. Um, that there is form there within emptiness. There's emptiness within form and form within emptiness. And we can see this clearly, see arising and ceasing, and through this we see the Dhamma. So for the monks it's important for us to contemplate a lot, and contemplate along these lines. And I give my Anamodana to the lay people who have the faith to be generous and make offerings on a consistent basis. And I ask um, that this gives you the benefit of a strong body of good health. And may you be free from illness and sickness as well. May you have a long life. And may you be firm in walking this path of sila, samadhi and panya, of virtue, collectedness and wisdom. May you see the Dhamma, may you attain to the Dhamma within this life. For the monks, we shouldn't be heedless, but really train and practice in the Dhamma. Train our minds well. Because each mouthful of food that we eat, each glass of water that we drink, um, this comes to us through um, the generosity of the lay people. And so we need to return that, we need to pay that back. And we do so through our practice, uh, through bringing about peace. And that practice that we do, it gives benefit to ourselves, and it also gives benefits to others as well. And so we use this practice um, as our offering, as our homage to the Buddha, So may all of the monks really set your hearts on this.